chapter 5. We're going to be starting in verse 21. But if you remember last week, we are doing a two-part series. It began last week. We're going to finish it today. Just two parts uh, of these four stories, these four circumstances that we found ourselves looking at. The first two last week, the last two this week. And what we've seen is is there's uh, decisions, two decisions that these four parties get to make. Not two decisions each they get to make. They get to, to choose between one of two things, which we talked about last week. Many times is where we find ourselves. There's not really a, a huge amount of, of options or decisions to choose from. Really, a lot of times, it just boils down to simply uh, two things. One is the right way. The other is, is the wrong way. That's what we've been looking at. And, and with the whole undertone of these four stories really is all connected together with this concept of fear, of fear. Do you guys think that we still deal with fear today? We live in a scary time frame right now. We don't know what's going to happen, do we? That's the decision that we get to make today. Whether we're going to place faith and trust in God, or we're going to buy in to the way that the world is responding to the difficult things that happen to everybody. Last week in the first two stories, the first story we see Jesus is sleeping in the boat and the disciples start to freak out because they think that they're going to die. But Jesus had said to them before, hey guys, let's go over to the other side. And when we place our faith in God's word and what he says, we can trust that he's going to honor it. That's what he does. That's why he speaks to us so that we can know what he wants and we can trust his word. The choices are fear or faith. And when we, when we demonstrate positionally faith in Jesus Christ, there's no room for fear. The demoniac who lived in the tombs, the choices for him and the people were acceptance or rejection. They could accept Jesus for who he was, or they could reject him. The demoniac accepted him he was cleansed of his, his, the demonic presence, and the people of the land rejected him. Why did the people of the land reject him? Does anybody remember? Fear. Fear. The disciples responded in fear. The demoniac responded in fear. The people responded in fear. It's just that everybody's afraid of what's going to happen next. 1 John chapter 4.18, we saw when we went through 1 John before we started March, says there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Do you think about that? Perfect love cast out fear. So I would ask you, is there any room for fear in a believer's life? No. Do you still get afraid sometimes? I do. I'm terrified of when my kids are teenagers. I'm sorry, no offense. I love you guys, you know. I'm just and I have a few that I of of you teenagers that I know now that I want you to hang out with my kids, okay? Now, get them ready to be good kids. 
There's things that you don't realize that you're afraid of until you're confronted with it. See, when you have a job and you're going to work every day and everything's fine, you know, there's not really too much to fear. Maybe there is. But what happens when you lose the job like that? What happens when you lose somebody you love like that? What happens when you're put in a position where you have to make a choice? To have faith in God for what he's clearly spoken to us in all circumstances, no matter what they are. Or allowing fear to come in and choke out the fruit that God wants to demonstrate through you. You know, love is a fruit of the spirit, right? Perfect love casts out fear. Now we're going to look at this next Two stories, they're connected together. It's another sandwich, if you will, as we've been going through the Gospel of Mark. They tie themselves together, and it illustrates to us this faith element of the faith and fear. And we see that they have options. They have two choices to make in their situation as well. Starting in verse 21, chapter 5, verse 21. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. So getting us back up to date from last week, they crossed the sea, almost died, going to see this demoniac who was the only person who received Jesus. In fact, we see that it it was the only reason that Jesus crossed, not only that, but to teach the disciples a lesson in faith. See, sometimes we don't understand what we're going through and we don't understand why the storm is happening. Maybe it's for the benefit of somebody else on the other side. Maybe it's for the benefit of you going through the storm. Sorry, Tim, I can't believe this shit I'm going to want to a storm. <laughs> hey, it's just a storm. You know, grow to enjoy the storm. Anybody in Las Vegas who whines about the way that it rained yesterday, I smack them across the face. Take delight in the storm. Take joy. Take confidence that Jesus is in the boat and that he told you that you're getting to the other side. He said it very clearly. So as they were crossing over, they see the demoniac. He gets delivered. The demoniac wants to go with Jesus. One of the only times in Scripture we see Jesus says, it's it's better for you to go tell all around what great things God has done for you. Right? And then he gets back in the boat. He goes back over to the other side. And as soon as he gets there, it's like all these people are waiting for him, and they all gather around him, gather together to him at the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came. Now, in this area, the, the, this wasn't a, a, a priest, or it, wasn't, it was somebody that was designated as a layperson to, to, in conducting the ceremonies and services of the, of the uh, synagogue. 
this guy was, if not the one, one of the ones who was the leaders in that particular synagogue. And he finds himself in a position where he needs Jesus. See, the best place for us to be, you and me, is when we realize that we need Jesus. If you think you're okay by yourself, you find out very quickly that you're not. And sometimes it takes a little bit of time, but when you get to that point later, it's worse than if you just realized up front that you need Jesus. One of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. You know, at this point, Jesus is somewhat of a controversial character. There's people going to him to receive healing. There's people saying things about him. We saw not too long ago that that he could actually be possessed by a demon. There's some controversy swirling around Jesus. But this synagogue leader doesn't care All he knows is his little girl's about to die, and he needs Jesus to come. And look at the confidence. Note the confidence. We can't get into it yet because it ties in with the end of the story. But note the confidence that he says. He begged him earnestly. That is is very emphatic in the Greek. He begs him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. That's the confidence he has, that if Jesus... Jesus is able to come, what's going to happen? He's going to be, she's going to be healed. He's confident of that. How many times do you think in your life that you've gotten to the point where you said, if this thing happens, everything's going to be okay. I just want this thing to happen and everything else is going to be okay. Keep that in mind as we continue to read, because we're going to see that Jesus takes it to the next level. He addresses the, the, the even a greater issue than illness. As they're going to see this girl, he responds to the man. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Verse 25, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years, and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Another person who's in desperate need of Jesus. They are hearing about what he's doing. They want him to heal them. And she she has had this flow of blood for 12 years. I don't think for us we really realize the, the magnitude of this illness. For us, it's like a flow of blood for 12 years. That would be uncomfortable. That would stink. It would be terrible. But for her, culturally, it ostracized her. See, for a woman with the flow of blood, it meant that she was unclean. 
until she stopped bleeding. And then after she stopped bleeding, she would go through the rites of purification, and then she'd be able to reintegrate with society again. But she lived as a person in the society that was different and separate, and she was one of those people who were considered to be unclean. What a way to live your life knowing no matter what you do, you're unclean in society. You're unclean to, to, the, to the, the rites of purification. There's no way for you to get better. And she tried everything. Listen to the language. This is not just her trying everything. Listen to the language. She had suffered many things from many physicians. She suffered many things from many physicians. Can I get a witness? Try this, try that, do this, do that. She was doing everything that she could. She was completely out of options. Not only was she suffering at the hands of the physicians, telling her what she needed to do, she'd spent all of her money trying to get better. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Man. The only way that we can get better <laughs> is Jesus. I know that it is, is very simple, but there's, there's nothing that this world has to offer. Maybe sometimes it can, be, it can be temporary feeling better. But ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, there's nothing this world has to offer that can truly heal and restore you like Jesus can and does. No self-help book, no seminar, no, it's all band-aid fixes. It's all temporary. And unless you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, you're going to ultimately grow worse. Grow worse? You're not really addressing the issue. You're not. You're covering it up. You're masking it. You're band-aiding it. And until you respond, or I respond, or the world responds, like this woman responds to Jesus, there's not really any fulfilled healing. Look at how she responded in verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. That is three things that you should take note, even write them down that you know, but you can tell others Three things that signify a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Somebody who wants to follow him. What's the first thing that she did? She heard about Jesus. Do you know what it means when you hear about Jesus? It means somebody told you. Right? What does that mean? Have you guys heard about Jesus? Have you? Amen. Now here's the next question. Are you telling people about Jesus? Because people can't respond from what they hear unless they hear it. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That's why people are sent out to, to preach the word of God so people can hear it. What's the next thing that she did? She heard? She came. That's a response, right? Just like you. You heard and you came to Jesus. She heard and she came to Jesus. And then the third thing, what's the third thing that she did? She touched him. She touched Jesus. 
I think maybe this part can be a little bit gray for some people. What does it mean to touch Jesus? I think what it means is a longing, a passion, a desire to be with him, to be that close that you're able to touch him. She heard, she came, and she touched. And that's the road, if you will, the route to salvation, experiencing who Jesus Christ is. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Now, why is this, what is this idea for her of touching his clothes or his garments? According to the law, she was not allowed to touch anybody let alone a man, she breaks two parts of the law, one by approaching him when he's unclean and touching him, and two as a woman approaching him. But she justifies it in her mind however she can, and she says, I'm not going to you know, lay hands on him. I'm not going to grab his hand. I'm not going to fall and touch his feet. I'm just going to touch the hem of his robe. So I'm, I'm touching him, but I'm not touching him, you know? Get as close as I can to touching him. There's, this, there's this, this demonstration of faith that close as I can to touch him, but I'm not really going to touch him. And she knew exactly what was going to happen if she was found out for touching him. And we see the response of the disciples when Jesus asks who touched him next. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt her body, in her body that she was healed from the affliction. I can't imagine like that. Was it her faith that healed her or was it Jesus? Her faith in Jesus Christ is what healed her. Faith alone doesn't heal anybody. It's the action of faith that healed her. She was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? (laughs) He didn't even say, who touched me? He said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? There's people all around you. Everybody's touching you. This is a different touch. You know, there may be a ton of people around Jesus. There may be a ton of people here this morning. God bless you guys. I really do love you guys. Some of you may be content to rub elbows with each other and with Jesus. But how many of us here this morning, with no guilt laced in the, in the question, are here to touch Jesus? That need him. I need to touch Jesus. I know that's the only way that I'm going to be better. There's so many people all around you who touched you. And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Now, when, when you touch Jesus... Or when Jesus touched you, how many of you told Jesus the whole truth of why you were there? I'd like to think that I, I, uh, I told him the whole truth. <laughs> 
But there were still things that I was learning about myself that I didn't even know I had issues with. (laughs) She tells Jesus the whole truth. Why is she trembling and scared? Why is she scared? You see the fear come back again? Fear. Why is she scared? Because she did something that she wasn't supposed to do. She touched him. She approached him. She was in a, a crowd. But guess what? She's not unclean anymore. So for Jesus calling her out, he's not throwing her under the bus. He's not going to get upset at her. In fact, we read, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. He responds to her in compassion and love. Could you imagine Jesus chewing her out? Now, what were you thinking? You should have just called out to me. I would have came over to you. He commends her for her faith. And she's no longer unclean. Therefore, nobody else around or he is unclean. Jesus takes her affirmity upon himself. The same thing with the Gadarean man. Do you remember? He takes the affirmity upon himself. And as he's going to see this little girl, he stopped to do this thing. Nobody's really saying anything yet, but, but there's, a, there's a, a, an urgency. In fact, in the language, when he says that my daughter is dying, it, it means that she is on, on the doorstep. She's, she's almost dead already. So there's this stopping and there's this exchange Notice also with me, if you will, Jesus's intention toward the woman. She's healed. Isn't that why we go to church? Just so that we can get healed? Isn't that why we want to know Jesus? Just so that we can get healed? No, Jesus wants to impact her life personally. He wants to reach out to her. He wants to acknowledge where she's at. This is the pastoral heart of Jesus Christ. Nowadays, in, in some parts of the faith movement, they make it seem like miracles are, are the end to the means, right? You're healed, you're blessed, you're blessed, you're blessed. I got the holy tunic. Wham! You're, you're good. Wham! You're good. You're good. But that's not what the intention is. The intention is not just to experience healing from Jesus. The intention is to experience Jesus. That's the point for us. And if anybody gets nervous about the word experience, I'm sorry, but that's the reason Jesus died on the cross. So we could experience what life is supposed to be with the Father. And if you're not reconciled to the Father through Jesus Christ, you're not experiencing life and you're not experiencing Him. He says, wait, who touched me? Who touched me? What does it matter? She's healed, right? That's all that matters. No, it's not all that matters. Jesus wants to connect with her. Jesus wants to connect with you. It's not just the issue that you're having right now. It's not just the problem. It's the intimacy. While he was still speaking... Some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? I don't know what the tone was, but it wasn't a pleasant one. Your daughter's dead. 
Why would you trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. We have another instance for fear to come into a situation. In fact, it probably already was there. Jesus wastes no time in connecting with him and saying, do not be afraid, only believe. The words are so simple. Don't you agree? I wish I could take it so so simply and literally. Don't be afraid. Only believe. But the worst thing in the world happened to this man right now. The worst thing that you could possibly imagine, his daughter just died. And Jesus' response is, don't be afraid only believe. What is it for you? I can tell you what it is for me. The teenage thing, remember? I'm terrified of it. What is it? What are we afraid of? What do we have in our life that would prohibit us from experiencing the fullness and abundance of God's love? Don't be afraid. Jesus has addressed it. He's going to touch you and he's going to fulfill the word that he spoke. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So this is getting into a, 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 an area where the, the throng cannot come. This is this is very intimate moment. You know, I can stand up here and, and tell you my testimony of the powerful things that, that God delivered me from and the, um, and the things that he did in my life and my family's life, etc., you know. But there's always going to be that, that intimacy of me understanding how Jesus delivered me and healed me that you can't really ever connect with. You can on your own personal level with your issues because we know you got issues. Come on, guys, lighten up. But like personally, for each one of us personally, that's the, int- the level of intimacy he wants to have with us. What could the girl say? Hey, little girl, uh, she grows up. No, she's not little anymore. She's, she's older. You know, they became part of the church after, you know, the, the church was born the, the, at Pentecost. And, and they say, hey, hey, how, give us your testimony. How did you come to know Jesus? He raised me from the dead. <laughs> All right, she wins. I'm out of here. This is a competition, right? Who's holier and who does better things? He takes these guys and he wants them to see, he wants them to be a part of a very intimate experience that they're going to have with uh, something that nobody's ever seen before. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. Now, you know, culturally, they had these professional wailers. And they would hire these people to mourn and in many cases, many people believe that these, these professional whalers are on standby many times when somebody's near so that they're ready to go at a moment's notice. Hey, pay's good. What are you going to do, you know? <laughs> Got to pay the bills. Man, that girl can wail. Give her 10 bucks. 
It's their job, okay? And, and you can see how quickly she was on the verge. Jesus was going to her. She died. And you can see how quickly they were already starting to, to weep and wail for her. And then Jesus, he's such a funny guy. <laughs> when he came in, he said to them, I make this commotion and weep. The child's not dead but sleeping. They, they didn't really make mistakes when somebody died, you know? Okay, call in the whalers. There, there, there was no, oh, she may be comatose or not. They knew she was dead. Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, but when he had, paid, when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was laying then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Uh, it's not that the greatest translation for little girl from the Greek would more, more clearly be young lady. It's something, it, it's, it's, a, it's a precious term. Young lady. She was just getting to the point of her life where she was one of the daughters of Jerusalem, one of the daughters of Israel. Her parents could take pride in her. Yet she was laying on this bed, deceased. Jesus says, young lady, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. <laughs> Immediately, the little girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. Does anybody see a parallel here? God does all this stuff for a reason. This is not arbitrary healing or arbitrary raising from the dead. There's intention. How long did the woman have the flow of blood? 12 years. How old was this little girl? 12 years. For the entirety of this young woman's life, this little girl, for the entirety of her life, this other person had been suffering. While she was experiencing life for 12 years, the other was experiencing death. And now, in one instant, Jesus touches them both. Sometimes it could be an issue that you've had for the last 12 years. Do problems last that long? <laughs> it's not so far gone, you're not so far gone, that Jesus can't touch and heal you. It could be an instant, out of nowhere, not, you know, no way to expect it. And now hope is gone. There was hope. But now it's not there anymore because the person's dead. You see the confidence. We have to look back again at the man Jairus in the beginning. The confidence he had in Jesus' ability to heal his daughter. If he acted before a certain thing happened, which was her death. Right? Jesus delays in going to, to address as a shepherd this other woman. In the meantime, she dies, and the, the ante is upped, so to speak. It doesn't matter if you're just sick. It doesn't matter if you're dead. Nothing is impossible with God. 
Nothing is impossible with God. They were overcome with great amazement, but he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given her to eat. It's not until later Jesus is going to be publicly proclaimed after his triumphal entry as the uh, Messiah. He's the president-elect now. He's not been inaugurated yet. I don't know if that... No? Okay, I tried. He's the Messiah. He is the Messiah of Israel, but it hasn't come to the point where it's openly declared. And Jesus says, hey, keep this under wraps for now. The time is going to come where we can publicly proclaim these things. The first one, Jarius, as he is seeking Jesus and begging, there's two decisions, two choices that he has. One decision he has to make between faith or despair. He can believe Jesus like he did at first. And that faith can continue through the resurrection of his daughter, or he can have despair because it didn't happen the way that he thought that it should. See, because he had heard of Jesus healing people all the time. He even just saw it. Could you imagine seeing Jesus have this exchange with this woman who was bleeding for 12 years? You're with him, taking him to your daughter. She's healed, and it further confirms to you the faith that you have in Jesus is for healing, and your daughter's going to be okay. And as soon as the exchange is over, somebody comes and says, your daughter's dead. Faith or despair? Jesus, it's not too late. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. He didn't say this, but is it time to give up? The people did. Nothing is said of the man. But we can see his faith in that he believed Jesus. When Jesus said, do not be afraid, only believe. See, if he didn't believe me, he'd say, you know what, Jesus? Okay, I'm not, I'm not afraid or whatever, and I believe, but, you know, it's over now, so thanks for your time. Sorry, we'll be, we'll be leaving you. Go heal somebody else who's alive. No, he goes. He goes with. He says, okay. What, what are you going to do? What can you do? Faith or despair. I think he stayed on the side of faith. And the second one, the woman, belief and disbelief. She believed to the point where she was willing to touch him And then when the attention was brought to her by him of what happened, he commended her for her faith. So you see, there are two decisions each one of these people had to make, one, two, three, four. But really, if we boil it all down to the nitty-gritty, it's fear or faith. It's fear or faith. It's faith or fear. That's the time to change it. It's no longer fear or faith. It's faith, period. No fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Let's look at chapter 6, this little blip of another, another instance of faith being demonstrated. Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, 
that such mighty works are performed by his hands. Is, not, is this not the carpenter? The son of Mary? The brother of James? Some people believe that Jesus did not have any brothers. Clearly in Mark chapter 6 right here, we see the response of the people is that Jesus had brothers. And, he, and then they named them. James? Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not these his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he lay his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Now, this is one of those things that can get kind of, you know, it's kind of crazy. How do, you, how do you take that? Jesus couldn't do any mighty works because of their lack of faith? What? Is, it, is that still applicable? Let's just, just take that out. Because on one hand, I can make reference to the people who have the jacket and knock people out from stage. But on the other hand... Is there a, a true demonstration of faith towards God, towards Jesus for healing? And again, we're not only talking about physical healing. Yeah, physical healing needs to happen, but sometimes it's emotional healing. Sometimes it's psychological healing. And how much is too much? None of it. Hey, sometimes we cry out to Jesus for what seems to be 12 years. But there's still a pursuit that happens, right? There's still a pursuit that you still pursue. And sometimes things don't get healed in the sense that it's not your faith in believing in Jesus. There's peace that comes from having faith in him. But look at Paul. This isn't an imperative saying, if you have faith, you will be made well. This is Jesus interacting with the people of that time, acting as the Messiah. Paul says, I cried out three times for this thorn to be removed from my flesh. And what did God say? What did God respond to Paul? My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. Now, I believe that God does take our needs and, and discomforts and sickness into consideration all the time. And we need to be actively pursuing him. We want to be in a place where we're whole and we are in Jesus to be able to help others too. Is there something that you can say to the Lord this morning? Like the woman with the flow of blood said to Jesus. And he responded to him by telling him the whole truth. Is there, is there something else that you need to talk to the Lord about? Is there some kind of, some kind of doubt or fear? In tomorrow or in what could be or what might happen? Because today, I think what the Lord wants us to do is to 
redirect that fear to faith in him. Trusting and knowing that he has a perfect will. He's promised to take care of us. He, he clearly instructs us not to worry about tomorrow. Let tomorrow worry about itself. Because he cares for you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for how mindful you are of the individual. How you would meet with the crowd. You would teach them corporately as a whole. That you would love them. That you would feed them. That you would have compassion. But even greater, that that you were all about responding and meeting with the individuals. And God, that this opportunity happened, this opportunity came for Jairus' daughter to die so that you can raise her to life. God, maybe there's something that's sick in our lives that just needs to die so you can raise it to life. We believe you are who you say you are. We want to be your church whole. But the most important thing isn't the healing, isn't the issue. It's you. We want to be near to you. We want to touch you. We want to hear from you. We want to know you. So that by knowing you, we're able to respond to you in love. We're able to respond to others in love. And we're able to partake in abundant, true life. We love you, Lord. We thank you for touching our hearts. We thank you for healing us. And we thank you for speaking and teaching us this morning. In Jesus Thank you.